Thank you for listening to The Digital Backpack. This episode was first published on August 26th of 2015, when the podcast was called My Blend Stories. This is My Blend Stories. I'm Jeff Gerlach. Rochelle Weinkoop is the supervisor of secondary curriculum and professional development at the Port Huron Area School District. She's an active member of the Mishag community, and saying just that feels like I'm understating it. She's also a regular presenter at education conferences throughout the state, oftentimes conflicting with my own. She's also really effective at communicating how blended learning is a great companion to great teaching, which makes for great conversation. Rochelle and I talked about how the spaces that we work and learn in can shape the kinds of interactions we have with others. She shared her thoughts on what distinguishes blended learning from technology-rich instruction and the many benefits that come from teacher presence in the online environment of a blended classroom. This is her story. Good morning. Good morning. I thought I'd say hi on video first before I make myself go away. Well, that's awfully nice of you. Where are you? Where are you tucked away this morning? We actually have a padded recording booth here. I don't know if I see the light here. Oh, so, nice. Okay. Yeah. So there's an isolated cave. I like it when it's dark <laughs> anyway, so it's kind of kind of nice to be removed from. It works for you. Yeah. I um. I live in Cube World. If you remember, at the beginning of the year, when I was hang, hanging out with uh, you and, and Jamie, it's a tough place to be out in Cube Worlds when you're doing something like this. There's a copier right behind my cube that goes off, and yeah. So my boss is she's a Gerstacker fellow um, this year, so her office was open, and I'm like, hey, I think I. I think I may need to use your office. <laughs> she <laughs> was awesome. fine with that. So I'm locked away today. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's any better than Cube World, but a lot of times I do like uh the like coaching meetings with teachers that I'm working with over hangouts in our office right at my desk. And we don't have cubes, but we basically have cubes <laughs> without walls. Right, right. So, so that's always interesting. It's, uh, I think, I think when you have an open office environment and everyone can see each other though, it's kind of like a, a respect thing. So we, we kind of just notice that people, people are on calls all day long. So. Right. But also I'm assuming in your open office that it is your team and you're all doing the same thing where in our Q world, we have human resources, we have, um, finance, um, and we have instruction and pupil accounting and, um, student support services. And then we have cube walls. So, but I do love that. I got to know people that aren't in the instruction department. And I also think it keeps office conversations more appropriate. It's interesting to me having a mixed, you know, it's a variety of people doing a variety of things in, in a shared space. Mm-hmm. And the walls that aren't really walls that really only give the appearance of walls and muffle sound rather than eliminate sound right. are obviously a tool that's been prescribed because of that mixed variety. You make a good point that room that I am in is full of people that are working on relatively the same line of things. We're all working on our separate projects and a lot of times people will be talking about stuff that I have no idea what they're what they're talking about but it's kind of nice to overhear and kind of keep abreast of what they're what they're doing I wonder if like in your situation if it would cause more chaos to remove the cubes and so that you could see everyone or if it would help to create uh, a level of understanding because of the sight lines Sight lines are an interesting thing, right? 
Yeah, that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting way to look at it. They've kind of given some sight lines like um depending on what your role is and if you work together the wall between the cubes may be shorter versus kind of separating areas. Those tend to be a little taller, but one thing I have liked is all the walls are usable space. So planning and visual thinking and that kind of stuff, like I just kind of embraced that. So we use that to move pieces. Like we were talking about pathways and science and just made note cards and you could just pin and shuffle and get some different visual of how that that may look. We tend to, I mean, if we take this to a classroom level, you talked about the space is somewhat intentionally designed for Mm -hmm the kind of activities that are going to be going on mm-hmm. in that space. Mm-hmm. You said that you have teachers come in, mm-hmm. you have visitors uh, regularly, so mm-hmm. you need to be able to accommodate that so that um, really the, the physical space in that sense isn't enabling a lot. It's just not hindering much, which is sure. an important thing. Mm-hmm. When we think about – when we think about education in, in general, like we tend to overlook a lot of the f- physical aspects of a classroom. And not to say that we should dwell on it a ton because we need to be adaptive and we need to work with what we have. And not everyone's going to have uh, a, a learning space that's custom tailored to their needs. We're going to have to adapt to it. But, you know, it, to just willy-nilly make decisions when decisions can be made or have a perception that, uh, you know, it's like teacher desk needs to be huge and at the front of the classroom because it signifies the importance of that teacher in, in the class. Right. Um, whereas, you know, uh, yeah. a, a teacher might not spend a ton of time at their desk. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's taking up more space, more, um, you know, important space than, it needs to. And maybe instead of thinking that we need to put it in a place of prominence, if we put it in a place of advantage, maybe that's a good place to uh, to think from figuratively. Now, that that was something that as technology was added to classrooms, especially when it went beyond the desktop, but when we, it's pretty standard in most districts that you have an interactive whiteboard, right? And you have some sort of um, document projector like those were the big bond issues of of the last five to eight years so anybody who's done a bond they have those things well because that's then all wired and that's all in there I know in my previous district as we started blending and we started looking at the classroom has to be different if you're going to do that our stop was here are the wires (laughs) here's where this is wired in and um The idea became um, kids had to face the technology. So it was even worse than the old Blackboard, right? Because they had interactive whiteboards and this was supposed to be our new way of connecting with kids. And you were supposed to be using so much technology, but the technology was built um, to have kids looking at it or interacting in a certain place. So I think that's one of the struggles even as we start getting teachers to thinking about blending their learning versus tech enabling their classrooms and what the difference is. Um, And it's another shift for them. And for, for many of them, tech enabling was a huge shift and they're comfortable with where they're at and they've, they've gotten good with that. Um, But blending is significantly different than tech enabling your classroom. And, Um, because we tend to focus on the technology sometimes, I I think that's where teachers are like, but I already do that, but I already do that. And I I think they've done a lot of good things to tech enable and helping them get to that definition of blended learning is important, um, to kind of move to this next phase for students. and, And so our instruction looks different. So keeping with that, what do you feel distinguishes tech enabled learning Uh, tech-enabled teaching from a blended learning experience? Uh, That's a a great question. And 
when I'm working with teachers on on blending, the the first activity we start with is defining blended learning or blended and blended instruction um, to see where they're they're at. It kind of serves as a formative assessment. Uh, but then I always go back to the Christensen Institute, their definition of blended learning. They're the ones that kind of first took all of the different definitions and brought it into a working one, and it's kind of what's what's most accepted and. The, the part that educators, I think, struggle with the most, but that separates it from tech-enabled is the student component, that student control piece. Um, in order for it to really be blended learning, there has to be some element of the student having control over time, place, path, or pace of, of their learning. And just tech-enabling the classroom very rarely includes that student control. So for me, that that's where it begins at least is how are we giving some students control and even even teachers who use learning management systems or um, have online activities I still would consider it tech enabled if we don't have that element of student control yeah I think that that's the big one I mean probably the easiest of the three major tenets of that Christensen definition that for for all of us to grasp is that there has to be a certain degree of online and face-to-face -face elements, and at least part of the learning has to be taking place in a supervised brick-and-mortar mm -hmm. environment, right? Like right. that's um, especially that supervised brick-and-mortar environment for so many teachers. That's just how school is, so that right. fits very well with just pre-existing paradigm. And then talking about being in an online space, a lot of times can be misconstrued as just using technology, right? Like, so the other thing that goes along with the student control piece, which is where you said you start from, is that the online informs the face-to-face -face, and the face-to-face -face informs the online that they're thoroughly integrated. And that's, that's a thing that I think, you know, some of us struggle with as well. Like not just, hey, we're going to do a blended experience today. We're going to be <laughs> online for 20 minutes doing research. Right. And then, I mean, in a lot of ways, that could be the start of a blended experience. You know, you're mm -hmm. doing research and that informs something that you're doing in a in a group discussion. But it's they've got to be tied together. It can't just be mm -hmm. I got a computer lab signed out for the day. So we're going to we're going to play math games. Right. 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 And I'm going to tell you the math game. And you're going to start here. And that that could be a really great example of tech enabling your classroom and using technology um, to differentiate if the kids are moving through at different paces or that kind of thing. But it to me, it doesn't go to the definition of, of blended of blended learning. And I think the research shows us that, too. When, it, when you go look at the research and specifically those elements that... Um, seem to make it more successful. Um, it, it is about how we're personalizing that piece for students um, and building capacity for them. Like I look at that as a real world skill, having, having worked with high school students significantly uh, over the past 14 years. It's difficult for them as we were thinking of college and career prep, and even, you know, I coordinated an international baccalaureate program. So those students are, are, are very driven. They have a very tough schedule. They have a lot going on, but we still have their schedule very prescripted, right? Like it was a huge transition to move from the typical, you show up for class, here's your assignment, here's your homework. The next day you show up for class, here's your assignment, here's your homework. You can't do that to kids who are taking six IB classes. And every teacher has the expectation of this is a college-bound class. So I'm going to treat it like a college-bound class when the fact is when we go to college, um, we get a syllabus in the first day and we show up a couple times a week and a lot of our work is done outside of that class. And how are we 
teaching students to take control of their schedules and learn what it's like to, here's my amount of work, here's what I need to do. How does that fit in with my other responsibilities? And if I have four classes, I need to look at my due dates and I need to be able to prioritize. And I think that the student control of the blended learning um, is why teachers and educators are most reluctant because students don't do that well. But it's also one of those skills that they're going to need outside of school that we don't often help them to develop. And I really think it's one of the things that, um, are you going to be successful in school? Are you going to manage yourself at work? Unless you're on a line where you're standing there and your job's the same every day, prioritization of tasks is a really important skill. And what a great way to help our kids start, you know, figuring out how you do that. And something that my mind goes to is, okay, so we know that this is what we want to do. We want to give students greater autonomy over the time that they're doing things, the place that they're doing things, the path and or the pace that they're progressing through stuff. So the the time, I, I feel like it's pretty rigid in a lot of in a lot of traditional classrooms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What What's your advice for teachers if they're going to kind of make time more variable for students? Well, um, the one approach that, that I took and I encourage others to do, and to me, no matter what we're doing, if it's blended, if it's online, if it's face-to-face, it all comes down to good instructional practice. So we need to start with good and in- with good instruction that may look differently in the online environment than the face-to-face, but that's where we begin. So I really believe that day-to-day planning for kids and for teachers is, is not the way instructionally we work the best. It's, um, I think it causes teachers to spend more time in planning. And I think it's what makes it difficult to think about instructional practices like small groups and how you differentiate because you think you have to do it for every day. So the first thing that I did, and and I did this with my students before I even knew what blended learning was. I was a librarian who was assigned students, and I had four other responsibilities. So even though they were in the library with me, I needed them to work very independently. I had to treat them almost like employees, but yet I was their teacher, and I had to do literacy things. So it really came from a need for me to do this. So Start planning your lessons and help students with expectations that are week to week. And teachers get to decide how that works for them. I'm a Monday to Monday person. I want to start Monday fresh. I want to know what's going on. So I treated the students that way. Other teachers have said Friday works better for them as they kind of reflect at the end. So when my students came in on Monday morning, they would have their weekly agenda versus their daily agenda right? So they had, here's what needs to be accomplished. Now, along the way, there might be, if there was a discussion, you have to have participation in discussions. So it may be everyone has to do the discussion on Tuesday, like that's your due date for that. But by Thursday, everyone has to have replied to the discussion. And also they could figure out what they wanted to work on. So if it was independent reading or if it was writing, um, They got to choose when they did those things, but I still kept it tight enough by doing it in a week and giving them calendar reminders that it wasn't like college with a syllabus, right? Where three three months into it, you're almost at the end and there's this paper that's due and you haven't really done a lot with it and you're like, oh, what? I was supposed to be working on that. Like we ha- we have to acknowledge that they're not at that place to be that independent. So planning for a week is a great place to start. I also think doing it at least a week helps with those challenging areas where we don't have students who have one-to-one devices. And I know in the district I work in currently, we have a high poverty population, so they don't have devices or Wi-Fi at home or even internet. If you plan for the week, it gives you and the student the opportunity to problem solve. 
Can they be at the public library? Um, is there a space at the school before or after that they could do these things? Does mom have a phone with access that if I could do it over the weekend, then I would be allowed to use that? Or do I go to grandma's house to get that done? So instead of saying students don't have access, by planning over longer times, you can help problem solve when and um, where the access will occur for the students. Um, and that's another way of problem solving and getting them thinking about solutions rather than, I don't have this at home, I can't do it. So to me, it solves several problems to think of of planning weekly. Um, as students get better at managing their time, especially with older students, you may have things that are a unit that's over a month while you still have weekly agendas. Uh, but I think that's I think that's tough for younger students. I think a week really to begin with and with younger students is the max that we should go when we're starting them. I really like starting with the time piece because when you stretch it over a week, like you said, you take the blinders off of the day planning, right? And mm-hmm. a, lot of, a, a lot of the struggle with the lack of differentiation is that we're proactively taking it out when we're really detailed in our day-to-days and get into a task-driven mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're thinking about planning for a week and being flexible over a week to accommodate the time that students are doing it, you're really adjusting path and, and pace as well because mm-hmm. you're you're stripping stuff down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's almost a competency model um, if you're if you're getting it to the point where I need this, this, and this done, like I'm, I'm looking at my learning targets and I'm, I'm really, I don't, I don't care when and where it gets done. This just needs to get done. And, and that is, um, I moved to a mastery, uh, based learning where I would have the objectives for the students and, um, and developed a point system that as long as you were participating, you weren't losing points. But if there was something that wasn't done well or that you missed, the expectation was um, you got the feedback, but it's here's what you still need to do. uh, And here's your new due date for you to continue working on this because you, you missed, you missed a part or, um, you know, you miss, you misread the instructions or remember we talked about, this is really important in your writing and you haven't included that. So love your close reading, but you didn't synthesize and synthesis is where we get to the higher level thinking. So no, it's not okay that you didn't synthesize your article. You're going to have to go back and synthesize that article. And that's part of their time too. So we've moved on to the next week's um, worth of activities, but you're going to have to finish the things that that weren't completed. Um, And if you needed to remove some things from the next week for that student because synthesis was much more important than um, some other thing that was a repetition or something that they had done well in in the past, if it became a time issue, you could always take something away from the new week um, based on what that student needed and still have them held accountable for those things that really you needed them to continue to work on. Something I really appreciate about that design mindset is you talk about all these little conversations that you're having with students. Like it, it, um, culture building at the start of, you know, an interaction together, whether, whether it be a school year or, you know, a tutoring session for a couple of months or whatever it might be, you have that conversation. You talked about just thinking about access and places mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. places and tools that are going to be advantageous for these students in their lives and getting, getting their goals accomplished essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's something about having those conversations individually with a student to help them think about these things, to help to build a resourcefulness kind of sensibility. Because I don't think that that's necessarily innate, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not always mm-hmm. just there. And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate how that individual kind of um, negotiation continues on into the learning process. It's a constant mm-hmm. conversation of, okay, where are you at? Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you know? 
you know, everything is a formative interaction. And Mm -hmm. you as the teacher, your design of your weekly, your weekly plan, your your weekly blended mastery uh, construct that's just awesome. You're at the center and got all these feelers out of where your students are at and what, what they're doing and what they need. And you can be a little bit more reactive with your differentiation there and spend a lot of your time really targeting what their needs are rather than, I think uh, some, some teachers fall into the, and I know I did this early in my career of like differentiation is learning choices. Like I got to like imagine these pathways before I even step into the classroom and students are going to pick box A, box B, box C. And it's really not, that's not the way to appropriately differentiate if you want to meet mm-hmm. every student's needs. It's a little bit it's it's actually more simplistic than that. I mean, we mm-hmm. we target it to to uh, concepts that need to be mastered and then we listen and learn along with those students to help them get to those goals. It's more of a coaching mindset rather than a a teaching mindset, right? One of the things that we're moving to um in the district now is uh, we use NWA um, at, for baseline data and, and to check as kids are progressing and um, learning to use that data and what it means. So we're starting to spend some time as we dig deeper and understand what you can get from those reports that how, what do those scores mean? So for instance, we were um, working with algebra teachers who um we know we, we there's always math kids, right? Who we know we have to get in through algebra two, but they come into high school and they're still behind in math. And math is is such a struggle, especially by by the time you get to that point. So what are we going to do with them, and and how do we set that up in the differentiation? And one of the things that um, a, a test like NWA does is it allows you to go in into the actual bands or the standards. So we were looking at linear functions and in linear functions, you can go into the different score bands and look at a student who scores at this particular level. This is what they're able to understand about linear functions. When they get to this level, they have that basic understanding plus they can do this when they get to the next level. And using that data to differentiate or for our expectations, or to know how to scaffold, uh, then it kind of takes the guesswork out of thinking, what do I need to do? Because it provides us the data of where the students are at, what they can access, and how you can plan for that, knowing where you need to get them. And data analysis takes a, takes a lot of time. And I think the I think the current climate of testing and how that evaluates students and how it's related to teacher evaluation and scoring schools um, is unfortunate in that it's tended to give assessment, all assessment and data kind of a bad rap instead of how can we very thoughtfully use this to really be personalizing for each student that's in our classroom. And if we have a tool like that, it is much easier to do. But students and teachers um, have very negative perceptions about that. So that's another thing I would encourage teachers that are looking at blended learning and and looking at how they can use it to personalize. Um, Because I think personalizing more than differentiating, right? So for instance, when I said, um, I always worked with literacy, I'm an English teacher, I'm a librarian. So even if they're library science students, we were working on literacy skills. And if I have a student that is not synthesizing um, an article, it's because that's a struggle for them. That's a, it's a higher order thinking. They're having difficulty with that. But if they're able to do um, other things, other tasks that I've assigned and they're good at those, it's as much being able to get rid of things that they don't need as it is to help them continue. Like that has to be part of it, right? Because it's always a conversation of, well, but then I need them to do this. So if we have them working at mastery, well, you also look at other areas where they have mastered or close to mastered that you can take away that most of your students may be doing. And I think often that's a piece that's missed. Really, it goes back to instruction. Like it's really about good instruction. Blended or online learning, 
cannot take the place of good instruction and it only works well with a good teacher who knows instruction. That, and, and I think that's, that's such a fear for teachers. And I can tell you personally, having experienced it and also helping other teachers in their journey to be blended and online teachers, um, a poor teacher is not going to be a good blended teacher. You need good sound instructional practice and you need to know how to, you had mentioned setting that culture um, and developing those relationships. You have to do the same, you have to do the same thing. And I would say for a blended teacher, that's one thing that you need to consider at the beginning of the year is that the same time that you would take to establish routines and develop relationships in your classroom you have to do those same things in your online environment because your student online is different than your student in the classroom. They interact and respond differently online than they do with you face-to-face. For some of them, it's very freeing for your shy kid who um, never interacts in class or participates and suddenly you have assignments and discussions where everyone has to participate and do it. You now know that student's voice. You now have more ways to formatively assess where that student truly truly is, what their thinking processes are. But you have to work just as hard to develop that culture and to develop that relationship in the online environment that you're using. It's, it's important to try to use both of those environments and bring them together as much as possible and do mm-hmm. that over time. Like you mm-hmm. said, your student's going to be different in the online environment than mm-hmm. they are in the face-to-face environment. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's um, it's a different kind of interaction. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you have to make sure that you're intentionally trying to bring the human qualities of a face-to-face environment and have them translate or connect to the online environment. It's not gonna mm-hmm. it's not gonna be the same. A discussion board is never gonna be as rich of a uh, a social interaction as a face-to-face conversation. Um, a it this this Skype conversation that we're having right now is never going to be the same as if we had the the comfort level of sitting at the same table, smelling mm-hmm. smelling the coffee, enjoying in, enjoying that interaction face to face, right? Right. But but because like I've because I've had face to face interactions with you before, the the online environment feels less of a burden, and we have right. a common understanding and a um, a common trust that mm-hmm. we're going to be ourselves in that environment, mm-hmm. and. Oftentimes, like you said before, like if you're if you're just thinking from a tool standpoint and you say, oh, I'm going to use a a discussion board. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's all well and good. But if you don't have the intentionality of uh, of letting pedagogy flow from from both environments, then it's not going to be as um, it's not going to affect student learning the way that uh, a true blended experience would be. If we're going to have a discussion in in an online environment, what is the face-to-face buildup going to be? Like, what what is, is it, is it going to be like, am I going to show a preview of, of a movie or something like that in a, mm-hmm. or, or an excerpt that, mm-hmm. that they're going to discuss in that, in that discussion board? Is it, mm-hmm. is it more reflective? Like what, mm-hmm. What is it that's going to make that rich to where that student voice, and I think vo- voice, especially in in a um, in a literacy kind of content area, I come from a social studies background. Like mm-hmm. voice is so critical, mm-hmm. and your your writing voice. I th- I think like a lot of times I'd get writing samples from students that would look drastically different if they were public versus if they just absolutely absolutely yes right yeah (laughs) and and Um, so i think it's important to like foster that that digital citizenship in in students mm -hmm. not just so that they're safe in an online environment but so that they thrive and really understand that this is this is an extension of our learning this mm-hmm. online uh, environment has just as much value. It is it is completely congruent with with what we do in class, and I don't think any less of it as a medium. 
than I do if I come to to school and actually participate. And it could go both ways. Like if a student is really comfortable in that online environment, we can use that as a tool to help them thrive face to face. Yeah, I, I was I was just thinking about that, and I and and I even have examples of that working because I would say that discussions and forums are probably uh, what I usually recommend as being a great place to start with with students um, as you're transitioning to blending, and the reason is because of that student voice. Um, you truly the formative assessments that you get from students responding digitally versus having the conversation in the classroom. We all know when we're trying to do uh, conversations in the classroom, by second or third week of school, you have your four established people that everyone's just going to sit back, right? And they know the answers and they're going to lead the discussion. And even if you call on on a kid, it's going to be Oh yeah, what Susie said. That that's what I would have said. And it may be true. But if you move that discussion online, especially if you have a system that allows forums where students have to respond before they can see other responses, which to me is one of the most powerful tools um, for blending that you can possibly have, you as the instructor truly know where that student is at truly know where that student is at because they're not influenced by anybody else's things. It's their interaction. And how often do we have that opportunity when we assign homework? We don't know if they're going home with a group of three or four. For some reason, when they're doing it online, they're usually not together responding to those conversations or talking about what they are. It usually is a very personal thing. So I've had students that were highly intelligent, great kids, but so painfully shy that they would rather get a poor grade than participate in class and and teachers who would include participation almost as a punishment to try and get them to talk. um, They just would lose the points. So when I started using the online forums, it wasn't just me. It was the rest of the students who noticed these two voices who are now part of our conversation that had so much to add that changed the discussion because of their insights and and what they shared. But then I took it the next step, like you said, um, how do you connect it back then? Because the fact is in life, they are going to have to be able to talk to people. It isn't all going to be digital or online. So how do you gently, and this is where the relationship piece comes in, right? How do you gently include that voice and bring them into the fold? And it may even be that you use their response as the starting point. So you're acknowledging their voice, but in that face-to-face environment. Did you guys notice Susie's response? As I was looking at that, it really got me thinking. So I want to start with her response today and have you guys think about that and what she said and how does that relate and go go back to the piece that we used in the literature and what do you find that supports this idea that she had that that nobody else did? And so, so you're bringing her voice in and you're helping her feel accepted. And then, you know, eventually it doesn't work with all of them, but eventually maybe they really can have that um, voice in the classroom when you're face to face, not just in, in the learning environment. The way I look at it, it's not really that you're changing behaviors. You're allowing students to discover who they are as a mm-hmm. social being, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The way that you describe the design that you have, that the not necessarily that you have, but that you were depicting there, it's it puts an emphasis on thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. And so many times we have these uh, these activities where we understand that we need to give students individual time to think about something before having a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Because when you are, I mean, conversations are are so, so, so valuable to learning. But if you just propose a question and then immediately solicit group uh, conversation from it, it becomes less about actually thinking and being thoughtful in your response and more of what can I think of right now to go go along with this. 
even more so than making sure every voice is represented, I, I really like the space, the online space um, and extension of place and time to be able to reflect individually on these things and be thoughtful because I would hate for a student who is I mean, I'm never quick off <laughs> off the starting blocks with a conversation that's like that. And mm-hmm. I imagine I was misconstrued as a shy, non-vocal type of person. And really, I just needed I needed some time to think. And I, I well, know and that there's some there's other students that are in that position, absolutely. too, right? Absolutely. So um, I, I'm I go back to, again, when when educators are taught instructional practice and questioning techniques. And one of the things they always talk about, you know, give them wait time. Well, what is wait time? Because when your teacher's standing in front of the room, 10 seconds seems like an eternity for wait time. Oh, absolutely. Right. But, um, Students, especially students who may be on a spectrum, whether it's ADHD or it's, you know, an Asperger's or an autism spectrum, those students often get left behind just because of how we set up processes and what we do. They need process time. They absolutely need process time. So that goes back again to the voice. It's not just the shy student. You're right. It's, It's the student who needs time to really think and process and be thoughtful. And I think many teachers are the type of student who did really well without a lot of thinking or processing time. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm quick and I can do it, but might my answer be different if I, had to be more thoughtful um, with some wait time to really think and consider in all aspects. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's part of it too. You're right that it's not, some kids even would participate, but they you're just not giving them enough time. They, they need something else. And I don't, we have limited time with them in the class and a lot to accomplish. So this isn't even that teachers are doing it wrong. It's just another way of, to me, personalizing for students. When, when you move to good instruction and blended using online elements, um, you're personalizing in so many ways that are different than differentiating that you're not even having to think of or plan for. It's just the process of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the intention is good. And the argument's going to be, well, I, I facilitate great whole group conversations. And that's that definitely could be the case, right? Mm-hmm. But if you think of if you think of some of the the drawbacks, like in a, in a discussion board, I'm able to um, I'm able to give students time to think individually and thoughtfully first. Then, especially um, if it hides everyone else's response, right? Um, open back up, and then and then I I allow students to have a second go around at thinking about this. By crowdsourcing everyone else's response. And, th- and then a third layer to that is requiring thoughtful response to another student. Absolutely. And, and so you're having them interact with it in these separate instances, stretching out the mm-hmm. time so that, I mean, you put mm-hmm. it in an asynchronous environment and you kind of level the playing field. Are there mm-hmm. going to be students that go through there and be the first one that comments and then kind of waiting around for the first couple people that, that comment yep. as well and then jumping yep. on those. Yes, absolutely. You're going to have your, your strong starters who then disappear from the, from the conversation. But those that come along are going to contribute to the conversation as well. And you have this rich, rich archive at that point where absolutely. I, as a teacher, can formatively look at that Mm-hmm. assess where my students are at. You were talking about the data piece earlier. And yeah, data gets a, gets a really bad rap because it's used punitively. And a lot of times mm-hmm. we're not give, or teachers are not given adequate guidance on how to use it in, mm-hmm. a, um, in, in a formative, like actionable way. It, it becomes mm-hmm. more like you're not doing your job. You need to do better. Um, right. But we, I don't want to get too sidetracked. But like <laughs> once I once I'm able to formatively identify where students are at with that, 
then then I can start uh, thinking, okay, well, can we can we move on to something where you know what's what's is this conversation rich enough in here to where kind of the the ideas are met? Should I participate myself in this and kind of mm-hmm. guide some thoughts around, or does this warrant coming back together and kind of debriefing? And kind of helping uh, everyone to corroborate the information and kind of synthesize what what our you know our general takeaways are from this. So you can even be adaptive at that point. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of ways to let that breathe. And I think you're you're right. Like if when I was doing that interaction uh, in a face to face environment, I was impatient because mm-hmm. my whole focus was on. We got to get this done. We got to get. You have a lesson plan. We 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 have objectives we have to get through. (laughs) And my so I made I I made time the constant in learning the variable, and and it's really not the greatest use of in class time. If if Mm -hmm. I'm able to be more responsive to student needs when I'm in in a face to face environment, I can help build them up. Um, individually or in small groups or even as a whole, once I have the information to see where everyone's at, then I feel more effective. I feel more comfortable. It, if, if I'm just leading that conversation, I have, yeah. I'm hardly even thinking myself. Like I don't have time to, to be thoughtful in responding to those students because I'm not prepared. So it's not just, you know, it's not just the students that are, that are rushed. Like I'm kind of you know, artificially chopping off the end of that interaction. And I I think you made a good point about um, considering how the teacher participates. So whenever we're we're talking a lot about forums and discussions, and I, I love that because to me, again, that's one of the most powerful tools, but whenever you're doing uh, collaborative activities with students online, I think the, the balance for teachers is that your presence has to be there and especially with less experienced or younger students, your presence virtually um, is the same as your presence at a desk, right? Isn't that one of our tools for management of a classroom is that if student behavior isn't what we need in the classroom, our proximity to them Absolutely. is the first thing that, that we do, right? We, we go, we stand close. We may put a hand on their shoulder. We may, it, but we're, we're not going to call them out and clap. Well, at least I hope we're not. We're, we're going to start with that proximity piece because they re, usually, if you've set up the classroom and the culture correctly, they're going to re- respond differently to your presence. So that's a good point to think about with collaborative activity and with assessment for any activity online. What is our proximity? So we need to be clear about that because I have done online Socratic circles, modified a Socratic circle thing. And in a Socratic circle, the whole point is that the students are leading that, right? It's not the teacher stepping in and, right. and and doing some of those things. But I also was very clear that this is an online Socratic circle. So my role is to give you the prompts. I'm going to prompt you through your close reading um, and, and start with three questions. You are going to continue the conversation based on those. You're going to start it. You're going to add to that. How do we do this online? And then um, we might wrap that up face to face. Uh, here's what I noticed you guys did well with your Socratic circle. But if it's not intentional like that, um, I would go on and I would make my voice known. So um, looking for the positive, more positive than negative, and not only about not only evaluating their responses, but how they engage in the conversation or the responses with other students. So I like the way you let John know that um, his idea was good, but you questioned based on this that was said in the article, you questioned his response based on this. You kept it in the article, you didn't make it personal. That's a great way to have this type of conversation, right? So um, you have proximity. You you have to have proximity even uh, when you're online. And I think that's an important, I, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you thought, talked about that in the teacher role because I think that's really important. You know, I had a couple exchanges with former colleagues of mine who were kind of just of the mindset that 
you can't control a student in a digital space. And even got into shouting matches where you know, the guy the guy told me, okay, uh, tell me to Google something, Jeff. And and I said, what are you doing? He's like, see, you can't you can't control what I do, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's an extreme example, but that always sticks to me as the example of a lot of it, – it takes some thought about what classroom management looks like in, in an online space because mm-hmm. for, a, for a lot of us, it's, it's a physical kind of thing. It, we don't – and we, we think of it independently of teaching and learning, which shouldn't be the case. And, and when you're talking about your Socratic circles there, it is so critical that we take a guide mentality to stuff. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. I like what you did there. Uh, did you consider this? I'd like to know more about that. I think that having that approach and having a system is important for, for a teacher, especially when you're in charge of keeping track of so many different conversations, right? And whether mm-hmm. that happens online or, or face-to-face, the premise is the same. I'm guiding. I know what I want students to master. Uh, I'm not going to master it for them. But I'm going to help guide them, guide their thinking to that area so that they can discover it themselves. And that's a, that's a great mentality to have. But I also think another thing is there's a lot of value to genuine interest and genuine participation in a learning interaction like that. Like mm-hmm. I know that when I have discussions with – in the past it was my students and now it's in professional development courses where teachers are – um, you know, I'm helping to facilitate conversations in these in these online courses. Mm-hmm. And it's the same premise. Like when someone says something that's intriguing to me and I have something of value to add to it, I think in terms of facilitation of the conversation, so I'm using inquiry rather than trying to share too much, but I'm saying, man, what you said is really interesting. It makes me mm-hmm. think of this. Mm-hmm. Have you thought of this? I'd like to know mm-hmm. more about this. What do you think about that? And and it's always about like like when a student reads that and they say, oh, wow, like they really like what I was saying. Like I'm going to get even more engaged in this. I'm going to think more about what I was writing before because he likes something I didn't even really think of. Right. And like mm-hmm. when when students see you as just another partner in learning, that is the most powerful classroom management that you can possibly have because mm-hmm. they they might not even think of this but they know they're not going to do anything but but what is expected of them right like mm-hmm. you're not going to get off task when you genuinely are excited that someone responded to what you did right well and um it, I think it's also important when you're doing that, you're modeling for them what your expectations are. So, of course, you'd always have a rubric of how you respond in a forum and both in your initial response and then when you're responding with, to what other kids have posted. But um, I, I think teachers sometimes think, well, we gave them a rubric. Um it's hard for kids to have a rubric. A lot of times they need examples. So, I know even when I'm doing introductions. So, you know, I had said before, when you establish culture and your your beginning expectations and what you would do to establish routines and get to know you and the face-to-face classroom has to, to be done online. Icebreakers, a- absolutely, there needs to be icebreakers and introductions. And it'll seem fun, but you're learning a lot and can do a lot with the kids. I always did my own. Like whatever I asked them to do or participate in, I also included mine. So it was a way of introducing and being a part, but it also then provided an example for them. So I was modeling, here's what an exemplar um, is for you to follow. And that's another important part of the online environment when you're blending is that uh, you don't want to discourage their thinking and how they would approach something, but you also have to give them enough of what you're looking for. And this is new for students, even though blending and online has been around for a couple of years, for most of our students, this is still new. We do need to support them. We really need to support them beyond rubrics and really include modeling. Great thoughts. 
I want to be sensitive of our time together. I appreciate you getting back on Skype uh, for me today. <laughs> yeah. I I used Skype and the district I was at previously, it, it didn't play nice with their firewall and they didn't want it. So there's like, there's other things you can use. So I just kind of, you know, let Skype go. Um, you you know, personally, I'm more of a Google person. So we do Google Hangouts. But yeah, there there is a connected to, uh, an advantage in connecting through Skype. So thanks for getting me back on there um, and using having another tool at my disposal. Yeah, I've got one nice plug-in for this, and I appreciate the audio quality of Skype. I think mm-hmm. this tool puts an emphasis on quality consistency where mm-hmm. Hangouts is kind of variable because they want to make sure that it keeps pace, right? It, that, right. So it's more adaptive, which is really valuable when people are on all sorts of different connections and you got a lot of people in there. Uh, but it's good to use everything for what it's supposed to be used for and not just use right. it just because, right? I think that's the premise of our entire conversation today. So, and I, and I got to wear my lovely headset. So I'm really excited that I got to wear my lovely headset today. Rocking this accessory, right? Right. So when people walk by, they're like, oh, she's she's doing something really serious. Must be talking really? to someone really important. Little did they know. Very important. But little did they know who you're talking to. Well, I will let you get back to Cube World, and I hope you have Thank a good day. You. And Thanks. Hopefully I'll and see I'll you see soon. And I'll see you this weekend. I'll see you this weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, you're you're, you're going to be up there, too. So, yeah. Yes. We'll, it's, I, I've got to get my, I got to get my stuff together. So yeah, I, I, I have a presentation I need to clean up. <laughs> well, here's the thing I've been, so I, I've got, I've got the rough outline of this. Uh, the, you did it at McCall, right? Is it it's similar to what you did at McCall? It looked like it from the title. It's similar to what I did at McCall, uh-huh. but I'm doing it so that Roughly half the time, hopefully a little bit less, is me sharing examples of design principles of when you have a element, a constant LMS that you're using, yeah, and and then thinking about active learning and bringing those in. So kind of like I, I'm coming up with a kind of a trying to do a cheat cheat thing where I'm rolling TPAC together with uh, with different principles and just oh, my own approach great. to it and trying to iron that out so that it's something that can be replicated. But okay. then I want to have the second half of it be, okay, open up your open up Google Classroom or whatever LMS is your your launching point for mm-hmm. for your online environment. And mm-hmm. let's think of content that you would actually use. So like, you know, pull out uh, some learning targets or whatever if you've got them, or just hypothetically think of something you want to do at the start mm-hmm. of the year. Buddy up with anyone if you if you want to, especially if they're using a similar platform. Mm-hmm. Pick uh, identify some active learning strategies that would meet your pedagogical need, and then let's let's kind of quickly design together. And I think because it's the last session of the day, that's a mm-hmm. good that's a good way of doing things. If it happens to spill over a, a little bit at the end, I can still have conversations or follow ups. And I wanna I wanna work with teachers because. I have the capacity to continue that conversation with them. Like if it's something that they're Absolutely. really interested in right. keep continuing to collaborate on, I can do that. So I you wanted to that. make it a little bit more practical and give them a design session. So that's, it's going to be the same, same premise, but it's going to be drastically different in what we're having teachers actually do. So, Well, I won't be able to attend because we will have competing sessions. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going up against you and Ben. So uh, I'm going to have like two people. Uh, n- no. Uh, uh, one of the things that happens is that, you know, for the last session, we'll probably have about a th- two thirds of the people. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so, Which is fine, um, especially if I'm going to do it collaboratively. So we're going to have a small yeah, group and, and we can all work Rebecca together. And Aaron, Rebecca and Aaron know too that I'm fine with being put there, that I'm not going to get upset if I have four people in my session, that I'm going to be there supporting their conference anyway and not take it personally and yeah it'll 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 be it'll be fine it'll be fun are you going up thursday we were 
Brandon's coming up too. He's oh, he's, excellent. He's gonna help me out. But yeah, we were talking about that because if we if we leave the morning of, it's gonna be a That's... long day because we're gonna we want to drive home that night. So we we'll probably we'll probably head up there on. Well, that's tomorrow night now. Man. Leave leave early enough in the afternoon that you can do the barbecue with us. Okay. It, do we have to do the event bright for that, or is that just more of a a way of organizing? Oh, I didn't do the event bright for it. Okay. I'll cut. I'll cut. I'll cut this part out because we're both delinquents. Yes, please, please cut. Please <laughs> Except I won't cut. because this is kind of funny uh, saying that that we're that I'm going to do that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, but I'm staying with Rebecca, so she knows I'm coming. Okay. So no, last year I last year I just showed up too. Now I'm going to go look up the Eventbrite and see what I didn't do because I'm a bad participant. I'll send you a link. I was looking at it this morning. <laughs> Uh, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Send me a link and um, tell, tell Brandon uh, I'm excited that we will be face to face tomorrow. Yeah. Fun. Looking forward to it. I'll see you then. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Blend Stories. For more, visit myblend.org.